Solar is important and it is popular and it is crucial to our clean energy strategy and it's crucial to communities, health and futures because of what it does, not because of what it is. And so we should be talking about what it does. What does it do for communities at scale? What does it do for grids and what it does for individuals, for the customers? That's what's really important. When we talk to legislators and we talk to policymakers, we're not talking to customers. So we shouldn't be talking to them in the same way that we're trying to sell solar to homeowners and to renters and whatnot. It's just different. Hello and welcome to the Solar Maverick podcast, where solar meets entrepreneurship and experience. I'm your host, Benoit Thangent. So let's get into it. Hi, uh, this is Benoit, your host of the Solar Maverick podcast. I'm really excited to have Robin Dutta on the podcast. He's the campaign director at Local Solar for All. Before that, he was at SunPower for seven years in market development and policy. He was also a board member of the Chesapeake Solar and Storage Association. Bextility also in market development and policy. It's really interesting the work that Robin's doing. I've known him for a while and enjoyed my conversations with him and hearing him speak at different public forums. Robin, it would be great if you could tell everyone about what you're doing now and what is Local Solar for All. Thanks, Benoit, for having me. And first, you mentioned my early years doing solar water heating policy work with Nextility and Skyline Innovations. And I'm just remarking, I'm just thinking, that was more than 10 years ago at this point. And as I tell you before, before there were podcasts, I think. <laughs> and normally people have that, like, I was in solar water heating way back when, and then they mean these 70s. And for me, it's 2013. Way back when, in 2013, when there was solar water heating and, you know, a large PD system was two megawatts or something. Like, it's amazing how far we've come in so many ways. It was called a webinar instead. <laughs> now we call it a podcast. And I'm excited to be your first podcast interview because I always learned a lot from our conversations and what you spoke at that conference is. And then also your sense of humor as well will make this a very interesting interview. Well, I'll try not to tell too many jokes. We'll see what we can do. <laughs> but I appreciate you having me and to talk a little bit about where we are as an industry and where Local Solar for All is. So much of what we do in solar is policy reliant. I mean, whether we're talking about the investment tax credit or net metering, or now we're talking about storage and grid policies as much as we're talking about the solar itself. A few of us got together and we were saying, it's great we're stacking wins together in solar and the industry's growing, but in some ways our wins are really frustrating. Seems like we're taking too long. We're spending too many resources on defending our policies. And it's like, we shouldn't even be spending time defending some of these policies because they seem so common sense. And they're so integral to what we need to do to get to 100% clean energy, what we need to do to get to your scalable markets. And then how are we going to have the time and the capability to gear up for all of the market expansion goals and all of the further policy campaigns? We seem to be kind of stuck sometimes or fighting the same battles over and over again. And so Local Solar for All was created to help organizations that are doing incredible work like SIA, like Advanced Energy United, like all of the state and regional trade associations, many I've worked with over the years. How can we help get them out of this cycle of fire drills? How can we get all the companies investing in policy, spending less time on fire drills and on fighting the same fights? 
and helping to move everything ahead. And that's the whole premise of Local Solar for All. Not just take care of our frustrations as policy people, but to say, how do we help get our industry to this next level? And how do we help articulate the benefits and the vision of this entire campaign and 100% goal? How do we get to the solar endpoint that we're all fighting for and help the policymakers making the ultimate decisions understand where we all need to go? I mean, it's common sense for us, but we're steeped in this. How do we help those who don't live solar and storage policy every day to understand kind of the concepts and that vision that we're trying to get to? So I took over the campaign last year after the IRA got done with many hands pushing it forward. I kind of was like, how can I be a glutton for punishment and take on a new challenge? And so campaign and initiative that I helped create with a lot of help from others, I'm not going to just say I did, but I was able to say like, I'd like to take the reins. There was an opportunity. And how can we kind of hit this next chapter and this next evolution of virtual power plants and distributed energy resources and how can we move things ahead so i've been excited since i got on but yeah that's the more the long than the short of what is local solar for all and how it came to be yeah definitely and is there a reason why after the ira passed that you decided to focus on this opportunity in order for the ira to meet its full potential what's important is that states can't pull back on solar and storage policies whether we're talking coordinate metering or storage incentives or making sure that policies reflect the current technological and the future technological capabilities of all of the grid enhancing services that our technologies provide. Most of my career has been in state policy. I got a chance to do federal work during the last congressional session, but in a lot of ways, the focus is back on the states. Now we've got the IRA and how can we maximize its potential? And that's helping state policymakers, whether we're talking state energy officials or regulators or elected officials and state legislatures to see how can we harness it, not having them think, oh, the feds have got this and now we can pull back. It's really how can we all work together to make sure that with federal investment and policy and with strengthening state policy, everyone's going to benefit from distributed solar, from other advanced energy technologies, from having EVs and bi-directional charging and the like, because now their head's flooded with, oh, the IRA does one of these 15 things. What does this mean for my district? What does this mean for me as a regulator? So what I was excited about is starting to tell those stories, try to be as out of the weeds as possible, talking that concept, talking that vision. If they get where we want to go and agree with it, then they help us make the steps and make the progress along the way. I thought it was an interesting challenge and I think a neat addition to all the great work that's already happening with solar and storage advocacy. Being at the 50,000 foot view and going from there. And I think storytelling is one of the big things that we've been missing. So I was excited to take that on. I appreciate you taking that on. We need someone as talented you to be able to do it. Obviously, it's extremely challenging work. You know, you talk about local solar for all. What are the benefits of local solar if people are not familiar? How do you define local solar? Local solar for us is defined by any system that's directly benefiting an energy consumer. So that could be community solar benefiting multiple subscribers who are contracting with the system. It could be a rooftop solar system. It could be a business getting on-site solar and storage. We're not defining by a number. It's not some arbitrary number. Are you contracting with a consumer? Are they getting the power? Are they getting the benefits? 
not here's a standalone system. Here's something that's going as a qualified facility to the utility. What matters is local clean energy, local solar that will directly benefit, whether we're talking about affordability, whether we're talking about resiliency, whether we're talking about improved reliability, helping communities, helping the grid, helping individual consumers. And is local solar the same as distributed solar or is that different? No, it's all the same. But when you talk distributed, that's even where, how wonky do we want to go? You're talking to someone like, well, what does distributed mean? Local, it's going to be in your community. It's going to be on your street. And once we get to distributed, that gets into terms that are probably going to be more spoken about in a bill hearing or a regulatory docket. As an industry, we have the message to make it simple for people who are not familiar with the industry. So I like saying local solar because people could picture that. So that's great that you're doing that. That's really what it comes down to. It's not about dumbing down. I actually increasingly dislike that term. Nobody's dumb if they don't understand what we're trying to do in the solar industry. Automatically, like, that's just not a thing. Energy policy, and we live and breathe it, it's complicated. And for those who don't have the time or the background to understand all of the details and all of the nuances, that means we've got to meet them where they are. And that's not dumbing it down. That's just making it relatable. And so they can get confidence in what we're doing and where we all want to end up. That's probably the biggest thing is how can we make local solar and storage deployments and policies and benefits um, as relatable to the policymakers as possible? Yeah, that makes sense. And I appreciate you explaining that solar is looked at as only people who are wealthy could afford a system in each types of credit scores. How can we create fair access to solar or local solar? I think a lot of it's doing more of what we've been doing. I mean, already in the last few years, rooftop solar has been seeing increasing adoption among moderate and also lower income households. Yeah, I think there have been improved financing. There's been greater ability for rooftop solar financing to accommodate lower credit scores. And then obviously you've got community solar, which is going to open the door to renters. And with community solar only being in 23 states and the District of Columbia, you know, we've got a long way to go to make sure that there's full access for all local solar. So I think if we start there and get the full access, then we can also then get supportive policies that can help make sure that financing is available and can unlock greater benefits for renters and for low-income households in general. This again is like the IRA has powerful programs. In a lot of ways, the states are going to have to have the supportive policies to make sure that the low-income programs coming from the feds can complement, hopefully, other supportive low-income solar programs at the state level. And together, we can then deploy and ensure that we've got new low-income systems benefiting more and more low-income households. Can you talk about how local solar for all is different from other solar for all programs? This is one that I often get frustrated at with a smile on my face because <laughs> local solar for all was created in 2019. And since then, you've got multiple state and local governments that have created programs that they call solar for all. And these are public programs trying to incentivize, by and large, low income solar adoption. So I like to think that the campaign certainly got it right early with the name. Then we've got EPA creating their own solar for all program in the competitive program available to states and municipalities and such. We're nothing like that. I always have to kind of couch and, and give a disclaimer now, like I'm a lawyer. It's like, you know, we are in no way affiliated with the Environmental Protection Agency or D.C. government or Illinois government. They also have a solar for all program. We're local solar for all. We're not a government entity. Although I will say when we created the name, there's a big reason to make sure that local solar was prominent. 
I think, as, especially as we're seeing all of the adoption for electric vehicles and heat pumps and, and, and so much advanced energy technology, as we're moving more and more towards energy management and certainly how solar and storage is a huge part of energy management, but they're not the only technologies. I think we're very much interested in moving beyond solar because we're already talking about the benefits of a distributed grid and decentralized grid. So we want to make sure that we're inclusive of all the technologies. And so if we can eventually get to a rebrand, that'll help with some of the confusion around solar for all and local solar for all <laughs> and maybe tell our story a little better. But it's not a single technology story to tell. Yeah, definitely. And can you talk about like what are the different technologies, solar, storage? What about like energy efficiency? Is that involved? Yeah, I think when we're talking about energy efficiency, you know, when you're talking about smart appliances, when you're talking about fuel switching from gas to electric and smart thermostats, we have different technologies now that can provide different levels of load shaping and load shifting for a home or for any kind of building. Obviously, when you can generate your own electricity, you have a greater ability to do that. When you add storage to that, you have a greater ability to load shape and load shift. What you can do when you stack all these different technologies ends up being really powerful. So you can have solar, you can have storage, you can have your EV battery doing more in conjunction with everything. Your smart thermostat can do things. Your heat pump, when connected to everything and all the software, can do things. And community solar can lower your bill and still add on to everything that you can do in your home. You know, I think we're moving to a point where every building is going to be some level of a smart build. It's going to have some ability to load shape. And I think that makes it really powerful when we think about what's going to go beyond. If we're talking about electrification. If we're talking about fuel switching, we're talking about solar and storage. It's all one conversation in a lot of ways. And so it's not five different conversations. It's one conversation. It's not one technology. It's many technologies. You're right. Monitoring energy management is going to be so big going or obviously like Google Nest. A lot of people know about, but there's other technologies as well, but still seems to be rolling at a good pace. Have you been seeing a lot of residential storage right now or is it still too expensive to be able to do that? I think it's happening more and more. I think residential storage, if it's not already the mainstream system, I think it's moving there. Certainly some of the bigger players are using that as their core offering, solar and storage. And I think it's crucial just in the last year. Energy storage is great. I mean, there's always the saying, you know, energy storage is like bacon. Everyone loves it. But you have storage that can serve as backup power. You have storage that can use virtual power plants capabilities and provide all these services to the grid. Solar, smarter inverters, energy storage, you've got all of this potential. And I think all the solar companies realize that and are able to offer these services to varying degrees. And so I think that's really exciting. But I think we're looking at energy storage as really part of a baseline offering now. And I think especially when you talk about virtual power plants and all the potential there, I think we're really talking about a large potential for what solar and storage across the board can offer. The tax credit for energy storage now really also unlocks it. I wouldn't be surprised if we start to see a lot of older systems get retrofitted to add storage as well. That's awesome to hear that. And it'll be amazing to see the proliferation over time. I know you mentioned there are 23 states that have community solar programs. Can you mention which states are great states for community solar legislation? I think the key thing that people should know is 
basically solar is produced on a site and then that electricity is basically distributed to residents in that community. So local solar, there's incentives to obviously develop solar on affordable housing, but also providing low moderate income household solar as well. It would be interesting to get your perspective on that. On the states that already have or the states that are looking for? Both actually are great questions. You know, what states are good states or what states do you see in the future? There's only 23 states. Eventually, I would think all 50 states would have some sort of community solar program. Yeah. I mean, that's the goal. That's the hope. And looking at some of the states, you've got New Jersey, who went from a pilot program to a permanent program. So they're expanding the community solar market that they have. Maryland also went from a pilot program to a permanent program. I was fortunate enough to be involved in helping get the pilot program created way back in 2015. So I have to give a good shout out to Delegate Luke Klippinger, who got the permanent bill over the finish line, fulfilling kind of the promise that we were setting out to do way back when. And a lot of kudos to CCSA, Coalition for Community sure. Solar Access, for everything that they've been doing. I'm especially proud to see Maryland happen just because I got to be there kind of in the beginning. You've got Massachusetts, you've got New York, you've got Illinois. You know, you've got some really big community solar programs in existence. When you're looking at what could come next, I look at Michigan, has the Democratic trifecta, has a phenomenal opportunity to not just get a clean energy standard, but to reverse what have been pretty draconian local solar laws to begin with and create community solar. I think they've got great potential there. California is implementing the community solar law that did pass recently. I hope that that can be done well. I think there's states with community solar that are also ripe for expansion. Minnesota did a really good community solar reform that should also be a boon for market expansion there and greater access. I'm hoping that for states where it makes sense, that that can serve as a model for their own policy expansion. Yeah, I thought that's really helpful to understand what are the new markets and what are the good existing ones. This is kind of what you're doing for Solar for All is. This episode of the Solar Maverick podcast is brought to you by Podcast Laundry, the podcast concierge service that I use to make sure that my listeners hear the best quality show. They do the dirty work of podcasting for me. Yes, graphics, quotes, show notes, master editing, and much more. All I have to do is record. So if you're a busy podcaster like me with an engaged audience and want to free up time to do more of what you'd love to do, like going to the gym or spending time with loved ones, go to podcastlaundry.com to schedule your consultation or call 347 7188273 that's podcastlaundry.com or 3478718273 thank you can you talk about what can we do better as an industry, the solar industry, renewable energy industry from lobbying on a federal and state level that we're not really doing right now? I think what we could be doing more is talking outcomes and talking less what I'll call process stories. Process stories, when you do uh, political campaign work, it's like the horse race. It's like who's up in the poll, who implemented what strategy. And it's very much in the weeds, like only the politicos will really care about it. I sometimes think that we talk more about the policies than we do about the outcomes. Solar is important and it is popular and it is crucial to our clean energy strategy and it's crucial to communities, health and futures because of what it does, not because of what it is. And so we should be talking about what it does. What does it do for communities at scale? What does it do for grids and what it does for individuals, for the customers? That's what's really important. When we talk to legislators and we talk to policymakers, we're not talking to customers. So we shouldn't be talking to them in the same way that we're trying to sell solar 
to homeowners and to renters and whatnot. It's just different. And this is where I go back to meeting them where they are. They're looking at what is this going to mean for my district? What is this going to mean for my state? And we should tell them that. And we should talk about it and hopefully in terms that they can understand. And it's very easy for us when we live and breathe this. It's kind of ironic that I'm saying this because I've been in the weeds most of my career. <laughs> but the less intricate our storytelling level is, I think the better. We shouldn't leave things out, but we should make sure that we're talking conceptually. You know, when you're in college, you've got to start with that 101 course before you go to that 201. That's how we should be treating solar advocacy in a lot of ways. That's such a great point because I think that gets lost. And I think there's a lot of different voices speaking at the same time to these legislators, which makes it confusing for them. So that's really great insight to understand. I appreciate you explaining that. One of the questions that I was going to ask you is the Solar Maverick podcast is also about entrepreneurship. You know, you were at a very established company, SunPower, for a very long time, you know, for seven years. The IRA gets passed. You transitioned as the executive director for local solar for all. Like that's very entrepreneurial and obviously like educating about local solar and the benefits to the state legislators are challenging and working with the other existing sort of ecosystem within these different states. Like what made you want to take on such a challenge role? One in helping to create, and I think this is true for anyone even, you know, creating their own business. We identified a need for an entity to play this role. As the campaign kept progressing and it was able to do things like commission and publish, you know, the big roadmap in 2020, which was able to articulate the benefits of local solar and storage in a way that never had been before. What I saw was we've got this idea now with grid services. We've got this idea now sure. where we've got this next big kind of existential fight. And that if we don't educate the lawmakers now, and if we don't start shifting to this storytelling mode, then we're at risk of losing out on establishing the policies that we're all identifying and that all the businesses, so many of the businesses in our industry are looking to expand into virtual power plants being, you know, really the center of it all. And so that animated me, that got me excited. My fiance was just like, you're excited. It's a big deal, but you just seem more animated when you're talking about this. So that was kind of, I want to go for it. I don't know that I'd ever want to own or run my own business. I always look at the business being policy. This is going back to my solar thermal days. Am I selling something? Selling ideas and hope and having fun doing it. But it is because everyone else, I think, can sell the technology and the services. And I don't want to knock that at all. But I've always loved storytelling and I've always loved to be able to go out and connect with people. And I think if I'm able to connect with people on such an important topic like this, that gets me excited every day. So it was really seeing this opportunity that started in conversations around at just a table and seeing an opportunity to take it on. It's been nearly a year now, and I'm still super excited about taking it on a year ago, but also what we've been growing and what we've got planned. That's really what gets me up and jumping around every day. Sounds like you found your purpose, your passion. It's great. Can you talk about some of the member companies of Local Solar for All? It's a collaboration, right? And then you're using resources as well, right? So we're not like a membership org in the classic sense. I like it better calling it like an initiative because it's a co-funded initiative. So we're housed within the Coalition for Community Solar Access. And I couldn't ask for better collaborators and colleagues there. And then I have the distinct pleasure to also have on the co-funding team companies that are Sunrun, SunPower, my old friends, 
and Sonova all coming together. And I think it's really important, really having the big three on the rooftop solar side, having the preeminent organization promoting community solar as well, coming together to say, look, we can articulate this big vision together. And I'm really glad that I'm able to help promote it. But it means that I get to work across all these companies and work with them to promote the vision and the policies that certainly they're going to go out. But it means enhancing the policy work that they're doing. It means doing the prep work in some ways for the initiatives that they're hoping to see because they're going from fire drill to fire drill. It's important to put out the fires, but I'm also actively trying to help prevent the fires so that we all can be thinking long-term and getting more aggressive and getting more holistic in the policy and the vision and the storytelling that we're telling. That's a great summary of what you do. And I think it's really admirable that you're doing it. It's not obviously something very easy to do. And there's a lot of different stakeholders involved, which creates complexity. But obviously, you know your stuff in the network. You also need the network of people, right? You've been on solar now for so many years and have built so many relationships that I'm sure you're reaching out to them as well. Oh, absolutely. And like I was saying before, like if this campaign and if all of our policy campaigns are going to do well, we need to grow the movement in order to have more discussion about the outcomes, to do more of this narrative storytelling that can capture attention. Like we should be talking about peak shaving as this big thing. <laughs> we should be talking about what local solar and storage means with EV adoption. And I think the two are inextricably linked without a doubt, but this is where we are now. So this isn't some exclusive group. I'm happy to say we are looking to expand into electric vehicle charging. We are actively looking to expand into doing more energy storage, energy management work, because these are all stories that need telling and being told in a way that it's going to connect with all the policymakers. Regulators, I hope, are going to have better confidence in the grid enhancing services that virtual power plants provide and then implement the policies that unlock those benefits. State legislators should be able to see and connect with the idea that 100% clean energy goal also needs to have local solar storage and active energy management at home and in buildings. The more collaborators that we have, the more we can help push those stories out as well. So that's what's really exciting. We're doing a great job of it already, but we really need to take it to the next level because time's a wasting. We got a lot to do. <laughs> I think that's a great point. We see it as like the goals that are set for the electric or the process of moving to renewables is kind of unrealistic right now, but we're obviously going to need a lot of people and a lot of reinvestment in the industry to be able to make that happen. And it's hard for a lot of renewable energy companies to hire people because there's just such a labor shortage. That's interesting that you mentioned that. Is there anything else that we didn't really talk about regarding the local solar for all program that you think we should mention or talk about? I think what we're trying to do at our core is help policymakers understand that local solar and storage and a decentralized grid is essential to make sure that all the clean energy strategies that we're all fighting for and implementing, we need that all to be successful. Local solar and storage unlocks the lowest cost path to a 100% clean energy grid. You know, we've got the research 
to show that. When we look at electrification, what it's going to mean when electric vehicles come onto the grid at scale, when you have mass heat pump adoption, what we don't want, what any stakeholder here doesn't want is for a homeowner, building owner to be told, you can't install that induction oven. You can't install that home EV charger because the power lines can't handle. And what we've got is a path forward and a strategy that prevents or minimizes the likelihood of that happening. It helps to enable electrification. It helps to keep grid costs and grid expansion costs down. It helps to keep clean energy deployment costs down because we can build a smarter, more reliant and more resilient grid. And so that's the core message that we are telling, that we need to tell more, that we need to amplify, because it's not just about transmission, but there's so much focus on individual efforts. We should be talking about this all more holistically. A decentralized grid, it can help the transmission build out. It can help make the system more effective. I think that's also the story that we want to tell and that it's a yes and to all of it. For sure. So that's the story that gets me excited. And I hope they can also get policymakers excited about our clean energy future. Yeah, definitely. That's a great point that we have talked about. about. Like, obviously, we hear about upgrading the transmission infrastructure, but really strategically putting distributed energy on the grid or near a system, basically like a solar system where you need distribution or where the utility basically can tell you where you need to put that, which they do actually in like the value of distributed energy resources for New York, they have location system where we value DSRV. So that's huge, such as upgrades to the grid, but it's also securing through distributed energy resources, local energy in the neighborhood to be able to fix some of that. Distributed energy resources are upgrades to the grid. Just flat out, that's the truth. There's still a lot more stories to tell, but that's what we're trying to get into the zeitgeist. You know, it's a clear message that you have. And I think this has been an amazing podcast interview, Robin. I appreciate you making the time. If people want to learn more about Local Solar for All or to learn more about you, what's the best way for them to do it? Well, we are at uh, www.localsolarforall.org. We post a ton on social media to help tell that story. So I encourage everyone to take a look at us, Local Solar for All on LinkedIn. We're at Local Solar number four all on Twitter and threads. You know, <laughs> while you're on threads, you were on threads. Oh yeah. Early adopter. And you, know, you guys have seen me at RE plus kind of out and about for anyone in the DMV area and around DC, I would recommend September 19th come out for the DC energy happy hour sponsored by actually the coalition for community solar access. You can find that on the DC energy happy hour LinkedIn page, but that'll be at 5 30 PM in Washington, DC, September 19th. So hope people in the area come out there. That's great. And we'll have your contact information on the notes of the podcast, the happy hour, as well as that's a great point. This will be released before RE+. So if you're interested in meeting with Robin at RE+, feel free to reach out. The conference is the largest renewable energy conference in the US and the world, I think. I think they're projecting about 40,000 people. That's from September 11th to 14th in Las Vegas, Nevada. You know, we need more people like what you're doing. And I believe in local and distributed generation. I don't know if I told you, I'm doing one of the first solar projects for the New York Housing Authority on 35 different buildings in Manhattan and in Brooklyn. And it's about local solar, but also helping the community. We're providing a lease payment to the New York Housing Authority. We're providing discounted energy 
to low moderate income and as well training NYCHA rest in solar careers. We're actually doing a job fair at NYCHA on October 5th in New York City. Oh, that's so amazing. I mean, look, local solar is local benefiting. That's for sure. And Vinoy, it's great to see you walking the walk on that too. That's fantastic. Uh, yeah, we were awarded the project six years ago. August looks like we're going to start construction. And by the way, it's third party finance. It's a woman-owned private equity fund in New York. And then as well as one of the project team members or companies is actually a NYCHA resident who has an energy efficiency company, a woman-owned Latino organization. You know, I really do believe in what you're trying to do. I think there's a lot of opportunity. I think there needs to be a lot of education. So we need someone like talented as you summarize very complicated things into simple sentences. Well, I can't do it alone. So I'll appreciate any help that anyone can give. It's a big job. It's a big job. We all need the help. That's what we're here for. But you can help me help you and help everyone. I think that'd be great too. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> anyway, that I could help. But you're right. It's not just you. It's all of us. And we all have to be a part of the advocacy effort. You know, I'm trying to be more active on the federal and local level, but until they hear from different voices and different people within the industry and also explaining it, I think it makes a huge difference. And I think we as an industry should be more active in our advocacy and policy. So sure. Well, thank you, Rob. This has been a great interview and thank you for your time. My pleasure. Thanks, Benoit. Thanks for listening to the Solar Maverick Podcast. The Solar Maverick Podcast is brought to you by Renew Energy. We're a solar development and consulting firm. If you believe that this podcast is adding value to you, please give us a five-star review and share with those that you think could benefit from this information. Please email all questions, suggestions, and feedback to info at renewenergy.com. That's I-N-F-O at R-E-N-E-U-Energy.com. The Solar Maverick Podcast is produced by Podcast Laundry and executive produced by Benoit Thangen and Kevin Y. Brown. 